0: Outside the windows, you'll notice a bright object, probably haven't seen it in a little while, it's called the sun. Make sure that you wear glasses as you leave, because our eyes will not be adjusted to that. Good morning. morning. How many of you have a favorite movie or a favorite book? All right, Jimmy, which one and what is it? Okay. In one sentence, give us a synopsis of that book. It's the story of a young man who ventures off the way his family to find himself only to find himself fate. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a great book, Jimmy. So it's a motivational story. It is. Is that did, did Eddie Vedder have a soundtrack for that? Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, I know that. I don't know, but hey, how about that, huh? You and I are the only ones that even know what we're talking about, I think. Since it's just you and I having a conversation right now. All right, anybody else have a favorite movie? Favorite book? Iron Will. In, in one sentence, give us the synopsis of the movie. And so, a young team that was following that scene, they were about to lose an arm. His was a professional dog sled racer. racer and he, uh, he would uh, do that to uh, get money to keep the farm going. And so, yes, he got, so a had to take on, take on the sled race. And through this, he, he, he was a young man, but there was several men this is a run on sentence, isn't it? <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. If you've never seen a WM, just like to Very good. And he yeah, saves the farm? Save the farm. There are other ways to raise money besides your lips freezing off, I feel like. But anybody else have a favorite book? And or movie, of course, now that people have had to share, nobody's like no i don't I don't even read what are you talking about okay can, can I have a one sentence Right. The movies are never as good. They're never as good. Right. All right, now I want you to, if you will, think of your life, and if your life were a movie, or if your life were a book, what is one sentence that would describe that? Can you give me a synopsis of your your life as a book or your life as a movie, what one sentence would be a description of that? Any takers? Is it difficult? No? Yes? Are there certain words that you know would need to be in that sentence? What are some of those words? Blessed? That's good. That's good. Lost and found. I say all that because where we are today in First in, uh, in John, we start chapter 3 here, and we're only going to get through one verse today, because it's really something I feel like we need to to camp on for just a minute and kind of go over and look at at some other parts of Scripture as to what this really means, because the heart of the Gospel can really be found in where we are. 1 John chapter 3, I know it's been a couple weeks since we've been here, you actually got to have a real preacher last week, I understand, so that was good. Um, So 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 is really the heart of the gospel. What John says right here is a a synopsis. It's a one-sentence description of the gospel. It's the very heart of who we are and what we should be about. So 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. See how great a love. The Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Just to yourselves, read that one verse again. This is who we are, and look at how this wraps up everything about who we are in this one verse. First of all, the word that kind of jumped out at me when I read it is, we see we see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, has granted, has given. This is different than that type of that type of inheritance where you've been born into something, and so because of that, because of being born into a certain family, there are things that um, that are just kind of it's known that you're gonna be, that you're gonna have because of what your last name is. This is a different type of of setting. This bestowed means that it was not yours. This was not your gift but yet it was something that was given to you. It was bestowed to you by someone else. It was theirs, and they have now given it to you. Which leads me to our next kind of thing that we need to talk about in this is that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. He's adopted us into His family. So that's where I want us to camp on a little bit today and to understand what does that truly mean. We've seen that in other places in Scripture where we're called uh, that we are adopted into His family or you've heard it talked about. But what does that really mean and what's the significance of it? But then more specifically, I want us to look at the ramifications of adoption. What does it mean that we are adopted into the family of God? As adopted children, this adoption means that the Creator, by grace, has made believers members of His family with all the rights and responsibilities that go with that status. With all of the what? Rights and responsibilities that go with that status. Why did God choose to adopt you into His family? Look around. Why did God choose to adopt them into his family? Can we answer that question? The only answer to that question is by grace. Because of his grace. Because of his loving kindness. Because he is God and you are not. He has chosen to adopt us into his family, because that is the very nature of who our God is. The reason that he does those things that don't make sense to us is because he's revealing something to us about his nature. So what does he revealed to us about his nature? That he gives things to those that do not deserve, not because of them, but to, remember we talked about lifting him up? but to expose the greatness of himself. Sometimes we get that backward. Sometimes we get that backward that I've been adopted into his family because of me. Because of why wouldn't he want me in his family, right? I mean, I'm a great guy, and I I bring a mean green bean casserole to Thanksgiving, so who wouldn't want me in their, in their family, right? And we get that turned around, but in reality, we should be looking at it through the lens of, the fact that God has chosen and has adopted me into his family does not show the greatness of me, it shows the graciousness of him, how loving, kind he is, not anything in and of ourselves. But with that adoption come those rights. It comes those rights that, that we see in scripture that he says we are co-heirs with Christ. You ever thought about that? What that means? Co-heirs with Christ. Meaning all those things that God has given His Son are are there for us as well. Doesn't that kind of, A, freak you out a little bit? But for sure, have you just standing in awe as to who God is and to why he would adopt me and have me be a part of that? I mean, that's a big deal. That's a big deal that he calls us co-heirs with Christ. Those are some of the rights that we have. But it also comes with responsibilities. What are those responsibilities? We talked about it a little bit this morning in our opening. We have a responsibility to make Christ known. We have a responsibility to live in such a way that our righteousness shows who's, who we belong to. How many of you have talked to your children about what your last name means and about their behavior when they leave your house, how it reflects not only themselves, but it reflects... You, and it reflects your family. Have you had that conversation with your children? Yeah. Sure we have. That's a responsibility that we have as members of earthly families to make sure that we represent our family the right way. Does that not make sense that it would be the same in God's family? Absolutely. All right, so let's look at some of the... I want us to look at three ramifications of adoption three ramifications of adoption the first one adoption means placing us in a family to which we did not naturally belong turn to ephesians ephesians chapter 2 In verse 3, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. What were you before your adoption? You were not children of God, but you were what? What does Scripture call us? What does it say that we were? Children of wrath. What is wrath? That's destruction. Death. Now, we don't like to call ourselves that because we like to paint ourselves in a little better light than being a a children or a child of destruction. But in reality, before our adoption into God's family, that is who we were. That's the trade that was made when God decided to adopt us. We went from children of wrath to children of God. That's a pretty big ramification of adoption, isn't it? And it makes sense as to why, when we go back to to 1 John in chapter 3, in the verse that we looked at, what does it say at at the end? For this reason, the world does not know us. The world does not know us, because we used to be this, and now we are that. And if they are still this, they don't understand that. Y'all follow? So why then are we surprised when the world treats us bad? Why do we get our feelings hurt so easily because of that? Why are we concerned with, with persecution or why are we concerned with, with how an outside world doesn't understand the mindset that we're coming from? We probably spend too much time as a church, and I don't just mean Dayspring, I mean the church universally, spend too much time concerned about how the media or the newspaper or the, the world in general treats Christians and, and, and less time worrying about just us being who we should be as children of God. Why is it always a shock to us that they don't understand our viewpoint? Is Scripture not very, very clear here? So quit worrying about it. Quit worrying about the fact that the media is going to cover Christians in a very negative light. Guess what? They will. Guess what else? It's going to get worse. Okay. Quit spending so much time worrying about that because we're not accomplishing anything. That's not going to change. They do not understand who you are. They do not understand why you would, on purpose, put something else above you. That's not the way children of wrath think. And you are no longer that. So quit trying to think like they do. Quit trying to understand why they don't understand the way that you think. We're wasting time trying to get people to understand something that they cannot and will not be able to understand save for the Spirit of God entering into their life and removing those blinders. So let's not spend... So much time concerned with that. And let's spend more time concerned with who we are and who we should be. Does that make sense? Second ramification of adoption that we have is that adoption means freedom from the law. Adoption means a freedom from the law. Turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. So that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, what is this law that we're talking about? The Old Testament law is it's God's standard, and if you do not meet this standard, you cannot come into presence with Him. You cannot have a relationship with Him except for you meet this standard. And guess what that standard is? It's not being pretty good. It's not being at Sunday school three out of four Sundays a month. That standard is complete purity, holiness, and perfection. That is the standard that allows you to walk into the presence of the Holy of Holies. That's the standard. When you read through the Old Testament, how much of that do we see about the law, and we see the the order of the sacrifices, and how often they had to be done, and even the ones that could could do the sacrifices. It had to be the priest, and he had to do it a certain way, and there were all of these rules and regulations. Why was that so? The point was not to show how much of a rule follower God is and how much of a rule follower we need to be. The point was to show how unattainable God is except for the need for Christ. Even in the Old Testament, the reason for all of that was to point people toward we need a Savior because we cannot do this. We cannot cannot continue to sustain this. It's an unsustainable process, this law that we are under, this burden of the law that we cannot, will never, ever, ever be able to meet. So all of that, as you read through the Old Testament, again, how many of you have friends that are unbelievers and they they point to the Old Testament as it being absolutely crazy and how can you believe this stuff? Because if that's the God that you serve, I mean, he's got some really whacked out rules and laws in there. Have you had that conversation? And you read some of them and you're like, yeah, you're kind of right. There are some really weird rules... But look at it, take a step back. Do you know why those are there? Because God knows the New Testament was coming. He doesn't see time in the way that we do. And so those are there and in place to point people so that it is obvious to us we cannot do this. There is a need for a Savior, we have to have the Messiah. And if there had been rules that made sense to us, that we could all follow, guess what? We would have thought we could do it ourselves. There are even people today that think that they could do it themselves, and there were back then in the Old Testament days. It's why the priests wore all the garb that they wore. They tried to do everything themselves. The point of the law was always to point to Christ, to point to the need for a Messiah, the need for a Savior. This is what adoption does; it removes us out from underneath that law, and says, "Guess what? You you are my son. You get to come right in." As I read these verses, I kind of think of when I was, um, when when my dad worked for the city of Hot Springs. He retired as the city manager, and it was kind of a weird deal when it was an older building, and and when you go in to the city hall, the city manager's office was over on one side, and you, you don't get to just roll into the city manager's office. You have to have, like, an appointment to go see the city manager, okay? And if you don't have an appointment, then you go talk to this other little person, and, and they'll state your business and all that, and they'll try to make an appointment. But there was actually a little thing where they buzzed you in, like the door would stayed locked unless she buzzed you in. But here's what was cool. Because of my relationship with the city manager, I could walk in and the lady sitting in the the window, the desk, would just buzz me in. I didn't have to have an appointment. You know why I didn't have to have an appointment? Because I was his son. That's how it is with us and with God the Father. How cool is that? We don't have to do all these things. We just have to call out and say, I'm your adopted son. I'm your adopted daughter. You've chosen me. So when he sees us, he buzzes us in and invites us in. That's a cool thing. And that's a major ramification of adoption the third ramification of adoption means we have full privileges of being in God's family full privileges of being in God's family look at romans romans chapter 8 Romans 8, starting verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we might be glorified with him did you hear everything that was in there the full privileges of being a part of God's family I mean we are no longer slaves you're no longer slaves to the law and slaves to everything that that brings Because being under the law means certain destruction because guess what? You weren't going to meet the law. It wasn't going to happen. And some of you are really good people. And I hate to be the one to break this news to you. But you weren't going to meet it. To try to live under the law meant certain death and destruction for you and an eternal separation from the Creator. That's just who we are. But the privilege, the privilege of this love that the Father bestowed on us, the privilege of being an adopted son or daughter of the Creator means that we no longer have this spirit of slavery, but that we've received a spirit of adoption where we get to cry out, Abba, Father. And you've heard it before, and we, we've discussed it, this, this phrase, this terminology of Abba, Father, is a very intimate term. It's different than just saying father or dad or in that, but it's more of a, a daddy or an intimate type of relationship and knowledge of one another, that that's what we now have as an adopted child of God we get to call him Abba Father. I think some of the reason that we struggle as believers and we struggle as churches is that we've gotten over that fact. It's something that maybe when we first came into a saving knowledge of Christ, it was a very real and very awe-inspiring moment for us, but as life has gone on, We've kind of gotten used to that fact, and it's not as big a deal to us anymore. Isn't that sad? But I think that it's true. The moment that you lose the awe that you have the ability and the right to call the creator of the universe, Father, is the moment all these other things start slipping. When we lose the awe and wonder that I am an adopted son of the God of the universe, little bitty me can be buzzed in to the throne room of God simply because of the relationship that I have with Him, that He allows me to have with Him. But we roll in here like God's lucky that we came to church today, don't we? We roll in here like we should get to have a say as to what songs we sing and what brand of coffee we brew, and what color the chairs are. Because and... I'm a card-carrying member of the church, right? So we've got this, and we've got that. We have nothing. We have absolutely nothing except to get to cling to the fact that there is the God of the universe that says, I no longer have to be a slave because I am a child of the King. And the only thing we should even be concerned about is making sure that he understands how appreciative we are of that love. And if we do that, our love for one another, our brothers and sisters, that's just going to naturally flow. And if that happens, guess what? We're not going to be just real concerned over the pitch of the roof or the color of the chairs or the songs we sing or the brand of coffee that's brewed. And, and I'm, nobody has said anything about the brand of coffee that's brewed. Larry, don't. That's, Larry's already throwing Jeff under the bus about the coffee. So I, completely random analogy. But you understand what I'm saying. Is that sometimes believers, we get so caught up in all these other things, if we would just be so absolutely outside of our mind, in love with who God is, because of what He's done for us, we wouldn't have time to worry about all this other stuff. Would the world understand that? Absolutely not. And because they couldn't understand it, is why they would be drawn to it. Do you know why people go to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum? Because it completely wigs people out. Because we don't understand what all that weird stuff is that's in there. And so we have to see it. We have to go find out about it. If as believers, if we would quit trying to live and relate to the non-believer, and if we would just live like an adopted son or daughter of Christ, they would come to us to find out why we are different. Instead of us trying to be so relatable and to be so much like them, which we're guilty of, here, we want to show how we're just like you except really, really different. Right? If we would spend our time more concerned about just being in love with our Father, it's such a completely different way of thinking and life that they would come to you to find out why are you different? Why are the way that you and your family make decisions, why is it so different from mine? But we're nervous about doing that. We're nervous about doing that because what if it makes us seem like we're a little bit weird? What if it seems like that we're a little bit different from society? You are! You absolutely are very different. Accept it. Why do you want to be so similar to children of wrath? Why do we want to be so similar to children of destruction? Why do we not embrace the fact that we are going to be different because we are children of God versus children of wrath? Last, let's go back to 1 John. The last thing I want us to see here in 1 John, back in chapter 3. And I think maybe it's where we've missed it all together is how he starts this verse. See, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. It's a verb. See, look, observe, study, know. this great love that the Father has bestowed on us. There's a responsibility there on our part. And sometimes we have to be reminded of it, and I think that's what John was doing with his readers here, is the love has been bestowed. These people that he's writing to were believers, they were adopted sons, but he was reminding them to see. Look, remember the love that God has bestowed on you. That you have the right to be called a son or daughter of God. I think that's my challenge this morning, just in this one verse for us to look That's the very heart of the gospel of who we are, is I want to remind you to see, to look, to know, observe, notice, The love that God has bestowed, has given to you simply because of who he is and nothing to do with who we are. When that happens, when we notice that, when we embrace that, then we can see who we really are that we really are someone that has left being a child of destruction and we've become a child of God. Then we can see that we are not something that the world is going to understand. In fact, we are going to be very different from them. And it's okay that they don't understand us. And if, in fact, they do understand us, it should give us reason for pause or concern because we are not very similar to them. See the love that the Father has bestowed on you. Do that this week. Observe, notice, proclaim it, embrace it. Be that adopted son or daughter that John reminds his readers of and he's reminding us of today. Let's pray. Father, the idea that you have adopted us, you've chosen us, you've pulled us into your family without any anything, any action on our part. Father, I pray that it's something we don't, get over, but Lord, I pray that as we leave here this morning, that more than anything else that was heard, I pray that we hear John's command for us to see the love that you've bestowed on us. Father, I pray that we're reminded of that love this morning, and that Father, this week we live a life that demonstrates one that understands who we are, out from underneath the slavery of the law, but that, Lord, we are free in you as an adopted son or daughter of the Creator. So, Father, even now, as we close in a time of worship, I pray that we do it with open eyes of the love that you've given us. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.